Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary podcast. This is Shannon and Megan. Hi, guys. We are your hosts, also known as the Scorpio Sisters, here to explore the mysterious, the magical, and the arcane. Today, Megan and I are going to be talking about a element of Christmas and Yuletide cheer and fear, and that is Krampus. The history and magic of the being Krampus. We've talked about Krampus a little bit before in our Winter Ghosts episode from a couple of years ago, but he only got a little segment, and honestly, he deserves more attention than that. He's an incredibly interesting figure. He's someone that all of us know about from popular culture. There have been horror movies made about him. Most television shows that deal with something supernatural or have even a humor, magical realism element to them have explored the character of Krampus in some way. So what we're going to be talking about today is some of that history, possible origins for this figure, parsing out from there the symbolism and some of the more nuanced aspects of his character. And then is it ethical and how can you work with Krampus and Krampus energy? Who is Krampus? What is Krampus? And the origins of Krampus. Krampus is a companion slash anti-Santa figure to Kris Kringle, Santa Claus, old Saint Nick, whatever floats your boat for the fat, jolly old man that comes down the chimney on Christmas Eve to leave behind presents or coal. Krampus is usually seen as a horrifying figure with goat legs and horns. Sometimes it's stag antlers. Sometimes he's hairy. Sometimes he's resembles more of a shadow figure where he has absolutely no color and it appears to be pitch black without any nuances. Sometimes mm-hmm. it looks more like what modern cartoons would depict as a Satan or devil figure where he's mostly red and black and has those elements of coloration and characteristics to his figure. He's also got some Yeti connotations to him, especially the images where he's depicted as having white hair and white skin. He's seen as the devil or a demon of the Yule's hide season, and that's because relatively recent Christianized history of Europe and where he originated from, Germanic, Nordic, and Alpine area of Central and Northern Europe. Right. The Teutonic Scandinavian tribal folks were probably very familiar with the original Krampus figure. Yeah, some sources do say that his name comes from a Nordic word meaning claw, and that he's actually a son of the goddess of the underworld, Hel, who is one of the three children of Loki and Agrabotha. So he could definitely have been a Teutonic, Viking, Nordic, or Germanic deity of the underworld that represented a very cold and probably pretty painful wintry trip transit from the lands of the living into the lands of the dead. Yeah. His name can also be translated as dead or rotten, so it's associated with death and decay, as well as the more violent implications in the word claw. Yeah. Like in ancient times, you don't even have to go back that far. The horrors of winter, the winter bear and 
the hungry wolf packs that are still hunting during the winter season, but there's very little prey to be found. So if you're a human with soft flesh that happens to be out in the winter and a hungry bear, winter bear, who comes out of hibernation because it didn't have enough food in the prep seasons for its hibernation, you're going to get clawed. Right. Die, die of a claw swipe and tooth and claw is going to end up tearing into your flesh. Same thing is going to happen with a hungry wolf pack who doesn't have enough deer or winter rabbit or anything to sustain its pack on. You're going to be run down as desperate times calls for desert measure for those animals. Right. Not to mention there are also very large and vicious wildcats that live close to the Arctic Circle in those areas. Things like Siberian tigers are named that for a reason. There are various types of bobcats and lynx that live all over the world, and they're vicious. My whole thing is, if not friend, why friend-shaped? Because they're adorable and fluffy and I want to pet them, but I would never (laughs) because they will rip you apart. (laughs) The cuddly little stuffed animals, bears or predatory cats and wolves and stuff, not, not so cuddly in life. Exactly. So Krampus could very well be an egregore or a coalescence of the fear of those kinds of creatures and beings, not to mention the elements themselves. The way that winter is described, especially in areas where the winter can be very bitterly cold and it is dark for most of the year, the wind and the snow and the ice are described in very bestial terms as being biting or clawing at you. So Krampus can be viewed as an embodiment of all of these concepts together. If you're not careful and you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing during the winter, if you're not prepared, then you're going to succumb to this being, this concept in some way, whether it's from predators, whether it's from nature itself, There's also the implication that Krampus is a son of Hel, the goddess of the underworld, and the punitive grandson of Loki and Angerboda. So he may be older than the Vanir and the Aesir, much like Loki and Angerboda and Hel themselves. All of those beings associated with the Ironwood are older, so Krampus could be another one of those figures. In the current legends that we're dealing with that have existed for a couple of centuries at this point, Krampus has been that figure that comes into people's homes and either strikes children with birch rods because they've been naughty, or in the most gruesome legends, he'll either stuff them in a sack and take them away or consume them. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you think about this from an anthropological lens of Krampus being a Christianized Teutonic deity, forest slash underworld, because in the Scandinavian Arctic Circle area, forests and the underworld very closely connected, what would Christian folks think of a deity with horns associated with the underworld who is essentially protecting his territory. Maybe he does get violent. Maybe he does attack people who come into his territory to try and keep them away from portals to the underworld, to try to keep them from destroying the area in which he dwells. Mm -hmm. 
And what other being do we know that is heavily associated with goats? Satan. Mm -hmm. That birch rod that he uses, birch is associated with Burkano, the rune, and that rune is associated with springtime, birth, death, and rebirth or reincarnation. So it could actually be that he's whipping the souls into a new life. Or not even necessarily whipping them into it, but think about the way a shepherd uses a rod. Mm -hmm. If he has goat-like features, goats are usually seen as much more intelligent than sheep. And trust me, they are. I grew up in farm country. Goats are way more intelligent than sheep. They're also meaner. They're much meaner. They're more clever. They're much more tricky. But if you put a goat with sheep, the goat will be ruling what the sheep do in about an hour. So you have this goat-like figure using a birch rod and thinking about the idea that goats do like to take a leadership position over those around them. He could be guiding them the way that a shepherd would use a crook, not to whack the sheep, but to nudge them in the right direction or pull them away from danger. If you link that to the disciplinary aspect of Krampus's character, why do you discipline children? Why do you discipline people? It's to guide them away from things, doing things that might hurt themselves or others. Mm -hmm. But why would you do it to a spirit? It's because the spirit's not moving on the way they're supposed to. Exactly. The other thing about birch wood in particular is its excellent kindling. It's not great for sustaining a fire, but it is really good for getting a fire going. It's soft. It burns really fast. So the association with Krampus bringing birch rods to your home could be that, that ability to get your fire going again once it's gone out. Mm-hmm. Your fire going out in the middle of winter in the Arctic Circle was a death sentence. You were going to freeze to death if that happened, if you couldn't get your fire going again. So you needed kindling that was reliable. So Krampus bringing you birch rods, regardless of what the use of those may have been, the symbolism there is one of giving life. Maybe you're not getting the extra gifts or the extra luxuries, but here be grateful for this warmth. Be grateful for this one small spark of a thing. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to the question of whether or not it's ethical to work with a being like Krampus. He's incredibly divisive. Some are not afraid of him at all. It's a concept more than an actual being. And others believe that working with beings that have the dark implications and reputations that Krampus does is unethical. It's not okay to explore that realm in terms of spirituality and magic. I happen to think that's hogwash. <laughs> yeah, as an individual who follows dark deities and works with them, mm -hmm. that's not a good excuse for not working with something that's calling you. <laughs> right, and I mean... We just talked about what Krampus does when you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's probably not a great way to engage with energy. <laughs> probably not. 
In terms of whether or not it's okay or ethical to work with Krampus, the answer to that question is not straightforward. What is your intention in working with that energy? Is your intention to explore the nuances of this being and the meaning behind the symbolism of Krampus, of the culture that he came out of? Or is your intention to pull all of the malicious energy out of this egregore and channel that into further malicious action? That's probably not the best way to go. Mm -hmm. The ethics of it is very personal and has more to do with the intentions of each individual than it does with his mythology and or how he's being perceived in current popular culture. Mm -hmm. Think about what you intend to do more than what does he represent? What is his correlation? What do you tend to do with those correlations? What do you tend to accomplish by working with this energy? Exactly. Personally, I work with quite a few dark deities, and I know that Shannon does as well. I work with Hecate, Lilith, Lucifer. Loki could be considered a dark deity. I work with Hades. And none of them are at all frightening to me whatsoever. And none of them have a malicious nature to them as I am working with them. Do they have sometimes a vengeful nature? Do they sometimes bring out the claws and the talons and the teeth? Yes, they do especially when the situation calls for it, such as when my boundaries are being violated. Lilith is especially good at helping me reinforce my boundaries because when someone pushes you to a certain point, you may have to very strongly reinforce your boundary and let them know that what they're doing is not okay. Mm -hmm. However, none of those dark deities has ever pushed me to harm someone. That's not how that works. Nope, nope, nope. And someone could absolutely develop the same rapport with Krampus energy. Mm -hmm. Whether you're working with the pre-Krishnanized Krampus that is more closely associated to Loki and trickster energy and underworld energy and forest energy, or you're working with the more modernized version that comes through and says to people who have been doing wicked things, this is not okay. Either mm -hmm. way, I feel like there's a lot of benefit to be gleaned from that. Yeah. The next question on the list would be, if you want to explore Krampus energy and working with him, how would one do so safely? Because there is a very unsafe way. <laughs> <laughs> to call out to any deity, let alone one like this. <laughs> I have a rule in place that I will not engage with energy that does not first approach me. Right. I feel that it's best to wait to see if the energy wants to engage with you before you start reaching out and say, hey, you want to work with me? I think that gives you a mortal, a little bit more safety in the relationship because you're not necessarily looking for something. You're allowing whatever energy is resonating with you to approach you and say, yeah, I want to work with you because your energy is exactly what I can provide. Right. Exactly. If Krampus is coming to you, start doing the research. If you are going to Krampus, maybe not. Maybe be extra careful with that. Or if your practice does include seeking out relationships with deities, that's also okay. 
I also tend to wait for deities and beings to come to me. I'm not looking for it. So if anyone else wants to move into my consciousness, they're going to have to push pretty hard. But if you're just starting out or you feel like it's time to expand your practice and this is a good way to do that, it's okay to reach out. But remember, you cannot unring a bell. That is something that I say almost every single time we talk about reaching out to energy. So if you decide to reach out to Krampus, make sure that you do so with protections in place. Make sure that you do so with caveats in place. Do not try to force any deity or any being to work with you. That's not going to work. No, that's um, not a great way to start any kind of relationship. Trying to strong arm your way into something is not usually good. So if you're going to reach out to Krampus, I would suggest reaching out the same way you would an animal that you're unfamiliar with. You don't just walk up to a dog or a cat or a horse or any animal and reach out to pet them. You walk up to them, you allow them to make the first move, or you offer a treat or a hand to sniff. In this case, we're working with a very intelligent, self-aware being. The best way to make yourself known to Krampus would be to leave him something. Mm -hmm. Go into the dark wood or as close to the dark wood as you can get and leave something for him. Now, don't go very far. Leave it at the edge. Don't go into the woods by yourself. You can leave it at the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please practice safety, whatever you're doing. Whatever and however you do. Especially if you do live in a heavily wooded area, be it the Appalachians, be it close to the forests in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., if you're near the Black Forest in Germany, just always use caution. But you can leave a small offering to Krampus in any of those areas. And a very whimsical way to leave him an offering may be to leave the very things that Kris Kringle would leave for good children. Some walnuts, some clementines, a few dried dates, maybe a piece or two of chocolate. You could pour some good coffee or tea into the ground, something to warm the bones, etc. You could also leave pretty much anything else biodegradable mm -hmm. that you feel he might like. Raw meat for a deity like this would not be out of order. Also leaving birch rods would not be out of order. No, it wouldn't be. Don't start a fire with them unless you know what you're doing. Just leave them behind as part of the offering because those are his tool of choice for a great deal of many things. Exactly. And if you want to leave a clear message, you could always arrange those burst rods into a particular rune or a set of runes. For instance, you could leave them in Gebo formation. You could leave them in the shape of Fehu or any message that you're trying to convey, you, you can leave in the form of runes. Mm -hmm. Anwaz is a good one, too, because it represents speaking or talking in the mouth. So you might be able to say, hey, I just want to be able to communicate with you via that particular road. Exactly. You can even leave coal, little pieces of coal, just as mm -hmm. like a, a whimsical nod, depending on what aspect of Krampus you're reaching out to. Mm -hmm. So if Krampus answers, what do you do? <laughs> say thank you. <laughs> Yes, first of all, say thank you. <laughs> Until you develop a rapport with any being, I would say that formality of respect with them. 
until you know how they like to be interacted with, approach with caution. Mm -hmm. The next step would be to develop a form of communication with him. And then your practice with Krampus is your practice with Krampus. I don't know that anyone could offer further guidance on that because it's a personal thing. Like Shannon and I both work with Loki. We both work with Hades, but we both work with them very differently. Yeah. Some things overlap, but for the most part, we're very different. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in general. I also work with Morian and Aphrodite energy, and so does Megan's wife, Sam. And things overlap, but also we work very differently with them. Mm-hmm. If you do develop a practice with Krampus, one way to honor him may be to set up your altar or devotional space to him that's hidden in the dark. Mm-hmm in a place that typically you would find, quote unquote, a monster under the bed in your closet, spaces like that. So number one, you know what monster is there and there's no need to be afraid. And number two, I feel like it's just a very ap- appropriate nod. Yeah, some renditions of what the boogeyman looks like also looks very Krampus-like. Mm-hmm. If you have a compulsion or desire to work with Krampus, There are a couple of different magics and magic paths you may go down. This is not an exhaustive list. Your path may diverge from what we're talking about entirely. As long as you feel safe and comfortable, that's okay. But this is just some samples of the sorts of things that you might encounter when you're working with him. Mm -hmm. One of the types of magic that Krampus is heavily associated with is underworld magic and death magic, which is also called necromancy. Necromancy is a scary word with lots of scary implications behind it. People conjure up images in their mind of the dead returning to life and vampires and zombies and all of this very complicated, really heavy stuff. Necromancy is just communication with the dead. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is in the practical modern pagan sense. When you are performing necromancy, you're communicating with your ancestors. You're communicating with the ghost that is occupying your house. You are contacting an ancient figure that might have some information for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're speaking to someone on the astral who has died. The etymology of necromancer is literally communication, mancer, and dead. So, dead communicator. Exactly. When people use spirit boards or talking boards or pendulums or Ouija boards, those are all forms of necromancy, which is one of the reasons that Christian traditions ban them so heavily, because in Christian tradition, communication with the dead is a big (laughs) no-no. Probably because the dead would contradict what people are being taught now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also a big no-no because back in the day you had to go through a priest or a deacon or a bishop or a preacher to get the word of God or Jesus or and going straight to a source that probably interacted with some kind of form of the divine on its transition from one life to the next. Not a great way to cement their power. Right. If you don't need an intercessor, what do you need them for? Mm -hmm. Similar to how saints and 
the Mother Mary intercessed for you in Catholicism. Yeah. Historically speaking, the Christian church in particular, Catholic church, has done a lot of things to remain relevant and in control of the populace. My experience with this in the evangelical church simply bans anything that could be construed as even slightly pagan. So working with Krampus could actually be a really good way to work through religious trauma. Definitely be a good way to work through religious trauma. He can use those birch rods to help a shepherd or in the case of some really insistent negative talk and imposter system beat those things back exactly be your shield and your guide as we were talking about going on to the astral to speak to those who have passed on the astral can be a really thorny place to go and you should absolutely never go by yourself you should have a physical anchor in the three-dimensional world and you should have at least one guide to go with you and who's better than someone who looks like that Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have something bigger and better and scarier looking than the things that might be out there going bump in the astral night, you're probably not going to be messed with. Probably not, no. Something else that Krampus may be able to help you with if you're dealing with grief from losing someone that you love to death, no matter what that death may have been, Krampus is intimately familiar with the dark and more unpleasant sides of life so being able to work through that trauma is not something he's unfamiliar with mm-hmm. grief counseling working through your grief is another form of necromancy if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. another potential magic could be winter magics. Krampus becomes very prevalent during the darker, colder half of the year when animals are more vicious because they're hungry and desperate. When weather is sharper, the forests and the mountains are less safe. Mm -hmm. Working with winter magics and working with Krampus could be a really good bridge between the two. Also, alongside with Winter Magic and Krampus, would be survival, survival techniques. Learning how to build igloos or lean-tos or how to make a fire with birch wood as kindling might be some really good ways for you to start engaging with Krampus and using survival techniques in the forest, in the mountains, during colder, darker seasons, with Krampus by your side, as long as you're doing it safely, as long as you know you have a way to get out. I would say do it more so in your backyard than out in the middle of nowhere, but I'm not a really good camper, so I would probably just do it in my backyard. If you've never done it before, practice somewhere that is safe for you to practice it. Yeah. Think about those particular aspects of how our ancestors would have engaged with any kind of scary and yet potentially protective element in the woods or in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is also darker magic that you can explore with Krampus. 
We've talked about dark magic before as reaching into the void. It's not necessarily malicious magic. It can be. It can be baneful working. I draw a line personally between baneful magic and malicious workings. Baneful magic includes malicious working, but malicious working is more harming someone just because I can. Whereas baneful magic for me is closely tied to reinforce this boundary to set protective wards to keep someone from doing me further harm. So I'm going to set a hex or I'm going to try and banish them from my from my circle. I don't want harm to come to them. I just want them out of my social circle and away from me physically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. So working with Krampus in terms of dark magic could be twofold. It could definitely teach you how to reinforce those boundaries, both spiritually and physically, but also he walks in the dark. So he is very familiar with all of the magical resources and things that exist in the void and in the shadows. Mm -hmm. That's all we have on our topic for today. Thank you so much for listening in, and we hope you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest for more witchy wisdom, both here and on our blog. And you can also check out our original art on Society6 for sacred decor and more. Thanks again for joining us. Go make some magic and live your best life. Bye.